Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. We will continue the topic that we began last week. We talked about the timing of the incarnation when Jesus Christ was born. Bible reasons why we know it wasn't December 25th. Bible reasons why we believe that it was most likely late September. Um, those reasons were the fact that shepherds in the field with their flocks, that's not likely late December time. The fact that uh, Caesar Augustus makes a decree, all the world should be taxed, all that traveling that it necessitated, that would not likely have been decreed during late December. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 3, Christ begins his public ministry at the age of 30, uh, lived on the earth for 33 and a half years, three and a half years of public ministry, crucified Passover. So take six months back from that. It's hard to fit six months between late December and late March or early April, kind of like Good Friday. Uh, so that, 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 all, that all argues against December 25 and all argues for late September, in addition to the course of Abiah, where we contrast or compare 1 Chronicles 24 with Luke chapter 1 and get the timeline for the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus Christ in that chapter in Luke. And then we talk about the Feast of Tabernacles, a, a very strong possibility that this typology would tie in uh, to the birth of Jesus Christ. Crucified on Passover, Holy Spirit defends on day, descends on the day of Pentecost and other, other types and pictures that are tied to those Old Testament feasts, tabernacles. Uh, Jesus Christ came to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us, to take on a, a temporary residence in a human body on the earth. And we'll study more about that this morning. Then we looked at the prophetic timeline of Christ's birth, how we know that he is the one who is the Messiah because of the timing of the prophecy as described by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 70, Daniel 70 weeks uh, prophecy, really the backbone of all prophetic scripture. Not only does it teach us that the tribulation is yet future and has to do with the nation of Israel, that 70th week, seven years, one day, one year, one week, seven years, but from the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem and to the Messiah, the Prince, 483 years. And we know when that commandment was, and so we know when the Messiah had to come. It was right at the time that Christ came, and our calendars to this day revolve around the advent of the most important man in history who is not just a man, as we'll read in First Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, where the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. New versions, many modern Bible versions will say he was manifest in the flesh. He is a pronoun. Those that are in Bible school remember this lesson. He is a pronoun. A pronoun has to have an antecedent. A pronoun is a word that replaces a noun. So what word is the pronoun replacing? When we just insert he was manifest in the flesh, the antecedent is not very clear, and it becomes a nonsensical statement, which one of us, he's, is not manifest in the flesh this morning. All of us are. It's not a great mystery that a man comes in the flesh. But if God comes in the flesh, now that's entirely different. That is a mystery that without controversy is great. What is without controversy is not the deity of Christ. That is 
Unfortunately, that is a debated topic. There are many who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. There are many who uh, take away from the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not that that's not a controversial doctrine. It's what, what's without controversy is the fact that this mystery is a great mystery. The greatness of the mystery is without controversy. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached in the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. I'd like to write a few terms on the board that we will spend our time this morning discussing. One is the virgin birth. And then what we just mentioned, the deity of Jesus Christ. And then a term we used last week and will continue to use this week is the incarnation. Incarnation. All of those terms kind of work together. Both of these doctrines are wrapped up in this doctrine. And these truths from the Bible this morning, I need you to understand These are very important Bible truths. These are integral to the Christian faith. These are non-negotiable points of belief. It might be controversial. It might be debated. It might be denied. But not by Christians. Not by people who really believe the Bible. And this morning... the, 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 the kind of the goal of the, of the lesson this morning is not just to know that we believe Jesus was virgin born, not just to know that we believe that Christ is divine, not just know that we believe that God was manifest in the flesh. That's what we mean by the incarnation. Do you know why you believe that? If someone asked you what the virgin birth of Christ was, could you define that? If somebody asked you what the deed of Christ meant, could you explain it? If somebody asked you, what is the incarnation? Would you just stand and stare at them with a blank expression? Or would you know these things? And not only could you define the terms, but could you prove them from the Bible? Could you show where it, why we believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? Could you show somebody from the scripture why we believe in the deity of Christ? Could you take someone to the Bible where it explains what the incarnation is? We're just going to look at a string of Bible verses this morning. I want you to write them down. I want you to remember them. They all relate to these three truths. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Incarnation, carna, carnivore, a flesh eater, a meat eater, carnival, a flesh fest, right? This, This word means flesh. So the incarnation is when God took on flesh, when he was robed. With flesh. This is referring to the entrance of the Son of God into the world in a human body. Come back to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at these verses. I said a string of verses. We'll take them sequentially as they come to us in the Bible, starting way back in Genesis chapter 3. You know the story of the fall of man. Uh, really, everything in the rest of Scripture is built upon the foundation of Genesis 
chapter 3, the man and the woman, they sinned against God. They disobeyed the one commandment that God gave them. God came to visit them and confront them with their sin. And they hid from the Lord and, and it didn't work amazingly. God found them and spoke with them and uh, pronounced a curse upon the man, the woman, the serpent, the ground because of man's sin. But in the midst of that, we find this in verse number 15 of Genesis 3. This is God speaking um, unto the serpent in verse 14. Then in verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God, talking to the serpent, said that woman is going to have a seed that is going to bruise the head of your seed. This in Genesis 3.15, right in the middle of all this sin, right in the middle of all this curse, here is the first messianic prophecy or the first messianic pro promise in the scripture. This is the first time that God said the Savior is going to come. This is the first time that God said, I am going to send a Redeemer. As soon as mankind falls into sin, God has the solution for the problem in the coming of his son. Genesis 3.15 is not only the first messianic prophecy in the Bible, it is the first hint at the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? It says the seed of the woman. But the woman and the man in Genesis chapter 3, they have become sinners. They are under the curse of sin. The principle established in Genesis 1 is that everything brings forth after its kind. How could, how could the offspring of the man and the woman in Genesis 3 be the one to fix the problem of man's sin? Because all of their offspring are going to inherit the same problem. The solution cannot be from among the sons of Adam. The Savior cannot be among the sons of Adam. All of Adam's sons are sinners from Genesis 3 on. So the one who is going to come and undo the curse that comes upon the man and woman in Genesis 3 is somebody that's not subject to that curse. It's going to have to be not just any other ordinary human being. It's going to have to be God sending his son through a woman into the world. That's the virgin birth. That's the deity of Jesus Christ. That's the incarnation. Okay, Somebody would have to come from outside the human race because the human race is under the curse. Come with me now to Isaiah chapter 7. Probably the greatest, clearest passage on the virgin birth. This prophecy from the Old Testament. It's fulfillment in Matthew 1. So get Isaiah 7 and get Matthew chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 1, this is another verse that is changed in modern Bible versions. I would be very, very suspect of a book that claims to be a Bible that repeatedly attacks the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ and the virgin birth. Uh, it seems like there would be some kind of an agenda, some kind of a malicious agenda behind that. Isaiah chapter 7, look at verse number 14. Isaiah 7, 14 it's Isaiah giving a prophecy regarding the perpetuity, uh, the perpetuity of the nation, that the nation will continue, that they cannot be completely wiped out at this point by their enemies because the Messiah, the Savior, is yet to come. 
In Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I don't intend to have a science lesson this morning, but that is not the normal course of things. Okay? And I don't need to say anything more. Virgins don't conceive. But one would. And the son that she would bring forth would be called Emmanuel. Look at Matthew chapter 1, where this is referenced in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. That is the proper course of things. You get engaged, you get married, and then you come together. Not the other way around. Mary is an honorable lady. Joseph, an honorable man, selected by God with the privilege of raising his son. And he decided to select those who were pure, those who were obedient to his laws regarding marriage. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so she conceived, but not by a son of, by the Holy Ghost, sorry. Not by a son of Adam. Not by the human race, okay? God placed a body in her womb. She did not conceive in the normal fashion whatsoever. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her public example, his mind had put her away privately. He said, this is a problem. She's pregnant, and we're not married, and we have not come together. This isn't going to work. i got to figure a way to deal with this. Verse number 20, while he thought on these things, Paul the angel of the Lord appeared in him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She's a good girl. She's, she's pure. She's clean. She's holy. Verse 21, she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus means Jehovah save. It's, it's, it's the, the New Testament rendering, the Old Testament Joshua. Now all this was done. Verse 22, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is, Matthew's going to give you something Isaiah didn't. Isaiah said, his name will be Emmanuel. Matthew's going to tell you what it means. It means God with us. The baby that Mary had was God with us. God in a human body. Jehovah who came to be the Savior. And the angels telling all of this to Joseph in a dream. In verse 24, then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel Lord had bidden him and took him his wife and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. She had other sons. She was not a virgin all of her life. She got married. Okay? And had at least six, at least four, at least four other sons. Children named brothers and then sisters as well. Wait, was it four brothers? It between four and six minimum children in addition to Jesus. And knew or not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, so Isaiah 7 14 says, A virgin will conceive and bring forth Emmanuel. Matthew 1, the angel said, Hey Joseph, remember that prophecy in Isaiah? That's what's going on here. Mary is the virgin who is going to conceive and bring forth Emmanuel, which being interpreted is 
God with us. Now, I hope you didn't lose Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Just verses on the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, and the incarnation, and the miracle of God coming into the world as a man. Really is incredible. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Could you show somebody this in the Bible? Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I know that Israel had some young kings, Josiah, Joash, come to mind. But here's a a baby, a child, a son, who is born to be the ruler, who is taking the government upon his shoulders. But look at what his name shall be called. His name shall be called Wonderful, capital W. My wife calls me Wonderful, but with a small w. Not my name, it just describes me sometimes. <laughs> right? Wonderful Counselor, capital C. The Mighty God. In Bethlehem's manger that morning, in wrapped in swaddling clothes, where you would put the sheep and the cows and the horses... That was the mighty God there in little baby infant form. Just try to think about that for a second. I mean, go work, girls, go work in the nursery today and watch those babies. And they're cute and they're adorable until nature takes over. <laughs> right? I mean, just that... That small, fragile, helpless, dependent, little baby. Can you imagine God coming into the world like that? Mary holding in her arms the creator of heaven and earth. That is incredible. The son, the child would be the mighty God, the everlasting father. That's weird. Mary gives for, birth to her father. <laughs> Not a physical sense. But the everlasting father is there in her arms in Bethlehem. The everlasting father. Now, how can you not believe the deity of Jesus Christ? Who is being described in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7? It's the son of God. It's Jesus. He's called the mighty God. Not a mighty God. Not almighty. The Mighty God, definite article, one and only one. The everlasting Father, not just, well, they have the same purpose, they're unified in their hearts, the same essence. No, the same in person. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice since from henceforth even forever the deal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, and it did, and it will. Part of that prophecy is yet to be fulfilled. But part was fulfilled, the child born, the son given, who was the mighty God. Now, come to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, a little bit more detail about how all of this worked. Get Luke 1 with Hebrews 10. Luke 1 with Hebrews chapter 10. 
We read about the angel coming to Joseph. Let's read about Gabriel coming to visit Mary. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in at her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. She was told, same thing Joseph was told, so they didn't have to argue about the name. That was a blessing. Verse 32, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Incredible. Can you imagine? Girls, you're going about your housework, your schoolwork, your normal day, one afternoon, all of a sudden, poof, an angel comes and tells you this. <laughs> that would be incredible. Verse number 33. I'm sorry, 34. Then Mary had a really good question. <laughs> then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? This is impossible. It's not how it works. I'm engaged, but I'm not married. And I'm a virgin. How am I going to conceive and bring forth a child? Who would be the son of the highest? And the angel explained he had a good answer. There is, there is an explanation. A very good question. Very good answer. Verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. How can the Bible call the Son of God a holy thing? That sounds a little bit disrespectful. I mean, doesn't it? Just be honest. I'm not accusing the Bible of being disrespectful. I'm not saying the Bible is wrong. I'm just saying it sounds to us like, did the Bible really just call Jesus a holy thing? Yes. Here, here's why. Come to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse number five, wherefore, when he cometh in the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me, but a body hast thou prepared me. This is speaking of the coming of Jesus Christ, according to verse seven, then said I, lo, I come the volume of the book is written to me to do thy will, O God. So God prepared a body. And placed that body into Mary's womb. And into that body came the eternal word of God. Who was in the beginning and with God and was God. And created all things. As we'll read again in just a moment. So the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And verse number 35. Therefore also the holy thing. What's the holy thing? The body that the Son of God came into so that he could live on the earth as a man. Okay, the Mormons have this really weird idea about Heavenly Father and creating spirit babies 
and visiting Mary. The Bible doesn't say any of that. It says the Holy Ghost put a body in Mary's womb. She conceived this holy thing. And into that holy thing, the Son of God came and in the world. Come to John chapter 1. The miracle of the incarnation. John chapter 1. Here's why we believe Jesus is born of virgin. Here's why we believe Jesus Christ is God. Here's what the incarnation is. John chapter 1, verse number 1. John chapter 1 and verse number 1. The beginning was the Word, capital W. A lot of people will say the Word of God and they'll capitalize the W because they're trying to be respectful to the Bible. And I understand that. I'm not saying I'm against that. But in the Bible, when it says Word of God with a capital W, that's always a person. That's Jesus Christ, okay? Small W would be the Bible. Big W would be the uh, the Son of God. So small w, the written word, big w, the incarnate word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. So many cross-references for this. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 9. God created all things by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the creator Okay, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jehovah created Jesus and then used Jesus to create everything else. This is not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus created everything. And it says there are no other gods formed after Jehovah, so it would be impossible for Jehovah to create a god. They have to change John chapter 1, verse number 1 to fit their doctrine. They say in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. With no support in any Greek manuscript... With no cross-reference support, they just, it, it's got to match the doctrine. We, 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 don't, we don't rewrite the Bible or change the Bible or interpret the Bible to match our doctrine. We read the Bible and believe the Bible for what it says. And it says that Jesus Christ, the Word, who was in the beginning, who was God, who was with God, who created all things, in verse 14, and the Word, capital W, same person, was made flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled. He came here, he lived in a body. He was clothed in human flesh. He experienced hunger, thirst. He experienced sleepiness, weariness. He experienced all of the human emotions. He lived as a man. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, he was a man, but he was unlike any other man because it wasn't just a man. He was a man and he was God. He was a man, but he was sinless. He was a man, but he was not subject to the curse of Genesis 3. And thus he could be the one to rescue us from that curse. What a blessing. Now, come to Philippians chapter 2. Two more passages quickly. Philippians chapter 2. In verse number 5. Philippians chapter 2. And verse number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Okay, the fact that he took on human flesh, it didn't take away from his deity. He did not lay aside his deity to take upon him the mantle of humanity. Okay, so yes, he was, he was. He came and, verse number 7, made himself no reputation, took upon him the form of servant, was made in the likeness of men, but he was still equal with God, verse 6. Verse 8, being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. And we don't have time to dwell here, but think of the extent of the humility of Jesus Christ, leaving the glory and the splendor of heaven, sitting on a throne with angels and seraphim and cherubim encircling him and crying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. That was his existence. He left there. He came here to be born in a dirty, stinky, smelly manger to imperfect human parents to spend 33 and a half years among sinners to hunger, to thirst, to have nowhere to lay his head. And at the end, to lay down his life, to bleed and die, to suffer at the hands of his creation. The people who falsely accused him, the people who falsely condemned him, the people who ripped out his beard were those that he had created. The cross upon which he hung was made from wood that he had created. The hill on which he was crucified, he formed it. Fashioned it with his word. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He was in the world and the world knew him not. Why did he do all this? Come obedient that even the death of the cross. Now, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And verse number 5, we started with 1 Timothy 3.16, which says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. There the doctrine is stated in 1 John 3, verse 5, the purpose is given. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 5 says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him was no sin. What is it that makes the mystery so great? What is it that is the 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 greatest miracle of the incarnation? It's the reason he did all this. Why did God become a man? Why was God born of a virgin? Why did why did what was he robed with flesh? Why did he live on this earth? Because you and I need a savior. And that was the only way. He did that to save us from our sin. He was manifested to take away our sins. So step back for a moment. It's the quote-unquote Christmas season. Hardly anybody anymore even recognizes any type of association with the birth of Jesus Christ. It really has none, but it used to be believed that there was some association. Okay? And the fact that we don't celebrate in the manner of the heathen doesn't mean we don't believe in the birth of Christ. And I think it'd be good for us to, to, to not only know what we believe and why we believe, but take a moment to stop and wonder and marvel at what God did to provide us with a Savior from our sin. It really is incredible how God became a man. He was incarnate, robed with flesh. For you and for me, I'm sure glad that he did. So, what I want to study next time is the perpetuity of the incarnation. God became a man so he could die for our sins. Guess what? Jesus Christ has not, he did not, he did not lay aside his deity, take upon him humanity, but he did not leave his humanity when he rose and ascended to the right hand of God. We'll look at that next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and these young people that are here in church in the right place doing the right thing. 
God, help us all to really be truly grateful for the gift you gave us in your Son, the eternal life that he offers. Lord, anybody here this morning that hadn't been saved, I pray they'd settle the matter of their salvation. And Lord, bless us now as we go into the church hour, the preaching hour. Use Brother James as he opens your word. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Uh, Lord, we look forward to more fellowship together throughout the day. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.